Hello, I'm Todd Starnes, lead pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and I'm grateful that you joined us today. I hope and pray that this message will encourage you and bless you. And remember, you can find more information about us at odessafirstassembly.com. God bless you. Um, some of the scriptures we've been looking at, this part one, we talked about that above all, keep loving one another earnestly, above all, above everything, love one another earnestly to, to pursue that love to have towards one another. As we live life together, it should be something of, of a passion that drives us, and of course that sense Love covers the multitude of sins. That's, how, that's what helps us get along as a family, as a family of God and with one another. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, uh, 14, we talked about last week. For the love of Christ controls us. When the love of God is at work within our heart and our spirit, it controls us our reaction. It, it controls our response. And, and we, we have a human nature. I don't know if you've ever noticed yours or not. Um, just ask me later, I'll point it out to you. But uh, we, all, we all have that, 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 that flesh nature that we love and we tend to cater to. And what the love of God does, it helps us to respond in the right way. We're just not reacting to something, but we are actually responding to something. A little bit I'm going to talk about this morning. And so uh, I just want you to, this, some scriptures are going to be on the screen. I'm kind of going to go through a process here. But where I really want you is first, now if you want to flip around and try to follow with me, that's fine. But we're going to look at a, a, a story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And so as I was thinking about this, you know, just praying about what I was going to share this morning, I really began, I couldn't shake this, this verse as we've been reading 1 Corinthians 13 every week as well and talking about what love is. Um, this, that one section of that love is not easily angered just really kept leaping out. And really, kind of the way I was seeing it is that, uh, you know, anger really has the opposite response than what love does. And so I want to break that down just a little bit. This is maybe not being our normal, you know, I'm not going to, you know, uh, listen, I'm, a, I'm old school. I, I, I feel like anyway that I, I, I preach like a preacher. Um, but uh, this morning may be a little more practical, a little more teaching, but that's okay. We want to look at the whole counsel of God. But in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5, and I included verse 4 in this because just to pick up in verse 5 is kind of awkward, but it says, Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It, uh, um, I forgot my timer, but I'm starting it right now. <laughs> Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Verse 5, see that would be awkward right there, right? Or rude, you know, that's kind of awkward place to pick up. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And different translations do say that in different ways, but irritable or, or anger, it's really the same word, has the same meaning. Um, other translations say it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, which I may refer, refer to anger more than um, uh, irritable. But uh, I, I really want to kind of look at just very quickly the phrases that surround not easily angered just for a moment. And so when I look at that, the first thing we see in verse 5 is that love is not rude. The word translated rude, it actually refers to responding in an improper way. I mean, we would maybe describe that as, as rude. Maybe a, a more exact definition is that love does not behave in an unseemly way. 
This means that love does not behave impolitely. It is not short. It is not condescending. It is not snooty, snotty, or haughty. Are you with me? It's not patronizing. And so when we look at love is not rude, it shows us how we are to respond in love. And it also tells us that love does not insist on its own way. And this is really, this would also be a good sermon. This is also a difficult one because people who are self-seeking always want their way. Any, who's, who, I'm not going to, now, I know how a firstborn would ask this question, but I'm not a firstborn, I'm a lastborn. See, a firstborn would say that you're the baby of the family. But I say I'm the lastborn because I'm not a baby. Because firstborn thinks that lastborns act like babies. Come on, who's the lastborn in the house? Come on, show, raise your hand if you're the lastborn. You feel my pain, don't you? I'm, I'm the lastborn. And so one of the accusations against those of us that are lastborn tend to be that we're a little bit, we, we seek our own way, you know. And uh, that's okay. Their firstborns are also known to be wrong a lot. But uh, the opposite of really seeking your own way is responding with that agape love, that love that looks out for others, that love that looks out for others' best interest, that willingly gives up for its own sake for another. And I want to speak out to married couples right now. Do not take that definition lightly. I mean, one thing that makes marriages work is that you look out for the best interest of your spouse. And men, I'm going to tell you something, is that let it start with us. No amens. I figured the ladies would at least say amen there. But a self-seeking person may use their gifts to really to not serve, but kind of have the focus upon them. I mean, you've heard me say it many times that we're not gonna, we don't want to be a people that wants to be in the light, the stage lights, and not be the light. We have to be the light. And so love does not benefit a self-seeking person. And then we get to that next one, that love is not irritable. Love is not easily angered. The word easily angered could be easily translated touchy sensitive to slights, easily offended. I mean, people that are easily angered tend to let things get on their nerves very easily. Uh, they allow themselves to be provoked easily, not allowing, uh, what I tell our kids all the time is that you can disagree with me. You know, I, I, you know, I grew up in a generation, maybe some of you did, that when our parents told us something, if they said no and you asked why, the response was, because I said so. Anybody have parents like that? Because I said so. And, I, you know, raising our kids, I re and to me it's like, okay, that's, that really doesn't tell me why. I know you say so, but there are times and that when you're being the, the leaders of your home that you're going to have this discernment, and, and so I'm, I'm kind of throwing this out there for free, that I said so should be at some times good enough, but I want my kids to ask questions. I want there to be a discussion, but many times what I have to teach them is, you can disagree with me, just don't be disagreeable in doing it. We're not going to get in a fight about this. We can have a discussion, because the moment you start raising your voice, it's the, it's the first time that you've lost control of the situation. Amen. 
And see, what happens so many t- well, I'll get there in a second. So, uh, when love is not irritable, it's not easily provoked over disagreements, it will be able to respond in a loving nature. Love does not fly off the handle. That's the way the message reads that verse. It does not erupt. It does not enrage. It does not hit the roof. It does not li- lose control. It does not rage, rave, flip your lip, whatever you want to put in there in quotation marks, that is not what love how love responds. And now this is rhetorical, so you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever lost control? Have you ever lost your temper and lost control? I think I saw a shift in my own temper tantrums when I was about 20. I I got in an argument with my then girlfriend. I got mad, and I punched my windshield right above my steering wheel. And when I punched my windshield right above my steering wheel, two things happened. One is I broke two knuckles on my hand, and the other one was I broke my windshield. And, uh, and then I didn't feel any better. And then something else added on top of that. My truck wouldn't pass inspection. And I didn't have the money to buy a new windshield. And I learned something, and I locked it back in my memory that losing control will cost. Losing control will always cost you. Always. Every time. Every single time. Whether it be fines or repairs or deposits. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now when you lost a deposit to your apartment because you punched the wall. Amen. Traffic tickets, bail, court costs, relationships, losing control and your anger will always cost you. Maybe it was yelling, maybe it was road rage, maybe you said things, I don't know about you, but I have said things at times where it just kind of popped out and it's like you see the words leaving your mouth and you're like, no, come back. But you can't, can you? Why? Because you lost control. And so Ephesians 4, 6 tells us something very important, though. It says, be angry and do not sin. Now listen to me. There, there's this, uh, it's kind of like there's also another verse in the Bible we talk a lot about, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, the key of that is, is the affection, the love for money. Just like here, I mean, what Ephesians tells us says, you're, you're going to get angry. Anger is not the problem. You can you can. If you manage anger well, you can process the emotion of anger. Are you following me? And so the key is this. Anger is not a sin, but mismanaging it is. If you don't stay on top of it, and really the only way to stay on top and control that anger is through love. I mean, there was even times that Jesus, I mean, Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, and, you know, that's when he declared that, you know, you've made my father's house a den of thieves, but it's going to be a house of prayer. We even see Jesus have a a righteous anger. But when we look at this, that scripture doesn't stop there. It's we go on to say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And what scripture is saying here, and, and me and Angela, we've tried to practice this our entire marriage, is that we don't go to bed when something is unresolved. Now listen to me. 
You may be still processing that emotion of anger, but the Bible says if you don't get to the place where there's some resolution, we read verse four, four, uh, Ephesians 4.27, what does it say? And give no opportunity to the devil. Because when you don't process that, when you don't manage it well, what happens is, is you open up a door to the enemy. And we don't want that. Matter of fact, what the, the description that's giving here is when you look at that word opportunity, kind of the mental image picture we should have in our mind is it says when you don't give the devil opportunity, what it means, how we also can see that is, you know, the, the little, we also get the word uh, topography, is that you don't let the devil rewrite, restructure your map. And so when we give the devil opportunity, what happens is this, is we lose ground. And so if, uh, if, this is, if this platform was my level of patience, lengthwise, what happens is, is that when we mismanage our anger, when we mismanage our respond, we lose ground. And there's a rewriting of how we process things. And so from here to that wall may be my, my patience right now, my long-suffering scripture talks about. But if I lose my cool and I mismanage my emotions, what happens is I lose ground. And so then it only takes about that much for me to flip my lid. Are you following me? And so then if I, if I don't resolve it and it happens again, then I only have about that much before I lose control. And if I don't resolve it and I, and I keep in that pattern and the enemy, I've opened up a window and now he's going to get, he's, he knows my number, man. And he knows what's going to make me mad. He knows that when somebody doesn't put their blinker on in Odessa, Texas, it's going to take me this much longer. It, 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 it rewrites the way we see things and the way we perceive things and the filter we have before us that as things get through. The enemy, listen to me, when we live with unresolved anger, the enemy gains ground. The enemy thrives in an atmosphere of the unresolved. I'm hoping that sunk in deep is why nobody said amen. I don't, the enemy thrives on the ground of the unresolved. And that atmosphere, that's why, the, that's why we see in Scripture when Jesus says, if you go to the altar and you remember when you're fixing to present that gift that somebody, not, not that you have something against somebody else, but if somebody has ought against you, leave the sacrifice and you go to them and you make it right. Why? Because the, Jesus knew the enemy re, lives in the atmosphere of the unresolved. This is good preaching, church. But see, it also flips the script on us because it also tells us in the New Testament that if you have something against you, not that if you remember somebody else has something towards you, but if you have something towards somebody, you're to go to them and you're to make it right. It's as if the enemy just reroutes the our heart, and it, it, it impacts the way that respond. James 3.16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I mean, that's the risk. I mean, this is scripture, folks. Anger falls one letter short of danger. That's my little free statement this morning. 
When we allow anger to control us, we are, accept, we are attempting to exact our own vengeance. When we allow anger to control us, we are attempting to exact our own vengeance. But the Bible says what? That vengeance is whose? Vengeance is the Lord's. When you seek vengeance, you are seeking to give, you have this desire to inflict harm, to inflict punishment on those that have wronged you. But that is not our response. The Bible says that we give blessing. Amen. That we give blessing. Why? We don't give curse for curse or railing for railing. It tells us in 1 Peter. But we give blessing. Why? So that we may also inherit a blessing. You know, there's, uh, Kaylee, right outside the door is that confetti. Would you go get that for me? And so right actions cannot come out of mismanaging anger. We, when it's saying in James 1.20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I mean, what that is, something is telling us, there is a, a correct, a right way to react. And if we're overcome by anger, we can't react in a, in a right way. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but I can say personally that when I have yelled, I have, at Angela and the kids, not any time recent, if, you're, if you want to do the math. I, I don't, can't remember the last time. Bring it up here, babe. Shan's heart just sank. I may use it, I may not. I don't know. We'll see where I get on this. But uh, here's the deal. Is, uh, it, here's what I do know, is that when I've flipped my lid... And I've, I've, I've yelled at the kids, or I've yelled at Angela. I, not one time, now this may surprise you. I don't know how it happens in your home. But not one single time did Angela respond back and say, Wow, I am so glad that you communicated that way with me. <laughs> if you had not yelled at me in that way, I would not have really realized about how you were feeling. And, but I understand now, and so since you yelled at me, I'm going to change what I was doing. Has anybody ever? No. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way, does it? Anger is not a sin, but mismanaging it is. Many times you will fight your greatest battles before your greatest victories. But I'm also going to tell you that some of those greatest battles are not for you to fight. Right before a victory in your life, hell will put pressure on you. Whenever you stand up to make a declaration, hell will put pressure on you. You gain ground. The enemy is going to do what he can to fight against you. And what I see happen over and over and over is where the, the battle takes place is in the relationships of the home. I mean, David, did you know David almost blew it about 10 days before he became king? Just to kind of remind you, he was, remember Samuel came, he was on the, the back 40, and, and, and Samuel came to Jesse and said, hey, bring your sons, God's going to anoint correct, because Saul messed up, and so God was going to anoint a new king, and using Samuel to do it, and so all the brothers came up, and, and Samuel was like, no, not that guy, not that guy, not, and then he's like, is there not any more? But David was on the back 40, and he said, well, I got one more, I didn't think you'd pick him, but I got one more, 
And a 17-year-old David came forward and Samuel anointed him to be the next king. Fast forward 13 years later, David's still not king. He's running for his life. His father-in-law wants to take his life. He's been living in the enemy camps and enemy ground and, and, and finagling. He's, he's got these, these not-so-wonderful men that now become David's mighty men. These nefarious men. And so we look at 1 Samuel chapter 25. Because what I want to do this morning is kind of give you the sermon, so to speak. And then kind of the, the story that shows us the example of what happens. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning in verse 4, we read, David heard. So what happened was is that David's men were protecting um, these shepherds, these sheep shearers of Nabal. So we pick up in verse 4, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was sharing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him, peace be to you, and peace be to your house. Matter of fact, we see another example of this in the New Testament. I won't go there, but Jesus told the disciples, you go to somebody's house and you speak peace to it, and you're either going to get peace back or you're not. If you get peace back, there's going to be a multiplication that happens. If not, go find somewhere else. But anyway, so, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Verse 7, I hear that you have shears, and your shepherds have been with us, and we did no harm to them, and they missed nothing at all at their time they were in Carmel. Verse 8, ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come to a feast day. On a feast day, please give whatever you have at hand to your servant and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said, all this in a ball in the name of David, and then they waited. So see, here's it. So David's men, pretty. Well, you'll see later on. I don't know if we're actually going to look at that passage or not, but later on, I mean, it. what Nabal's men say is David's men protected us. They were guarding us and, and helped, and they didn't take anything for themselves. They just, they were there. They helped us. They were a deterrent for anybody that would might attack us. And so that what was happening. And David's not asking for money. He's not asking for money in return. He's like, hey, just give us some food and water. Let, our, let my men, let us as a camp refresh ourselves." And we pick up in verse 9. When David's young men came, they said this to Nabal. So, you know, they just expressed all what we just read to Nabal. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who is this son, Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking for their masters. That's a cut down, by the way, if you didn't know. I mean, what Nabal is doing is, is being foolish. Matter of fact, Nabal means foolish, and he's giving a foolish response. He's cutting David and his men down. I don't think David's one you want to make mad. Would anybody agree with me on that? So, shall I take bread and water and meat for that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from where I don't know where. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all of this. So as I said, David, Nabal means foolish. He's responding in a foolish way. And so, I mean, here's Nabal just really throwing shade on David. He's like, I don't know who you think you are. 
I don't care what you've done for me, but no, I'm not doing anything for you. And so David, here's what happens, verse 13, and David said, so the men report this to David, and David said to his men, ever man strap on his sword. <laughs> David's a little upset, right? And every man of them strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. And I want to point out something very quickly. Maybe this will kind of stick into your mind where there is mismanaged anger. There's always going to be baggage in the wake. There's always going to be baggage in, in, on the home front that has to be taken care of. Are you following me this morning? And so David mounted up. They strap on their swords. They, his men strapped on the swords. But listen to me. One if you're not a note taker, you need to write this down. It's going to be on the screen. It's in the notes on the new version, all that. But listen to me. One unguarded moment can change your life forever. One unguarded moment can change your life forever. And David is approaching that. Matter of fact, if you read in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, you'll read, Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the wellsprings of life, the springs of life. So all what David, so David, you know, I mean, here he, I mean, he's within 10 days of this moment of becoming the king of Israel. He's waited 13 years, and I'm going to tell you that he is on the verge of seeing it all lost because of his response. It couldn't have been easy. I mean, the pressure that David was feeling. I mean, he's got to provide food for his camp, his men, water, living conditions. I mean, they're living in enemy territories. They're doing raids and, and fighting against other people this whole time. And he's trying to take care of these. The, his band is growing, and he's trying to provide, take care, protect them. How many have reached a breaking point in your life? Stress, health problems, marriage problems. Bills, unsatisfiable employers, screaming kids. <laughs> I remember one time, it was years ago, the kids were little. I don't even know if Kaylee was born yet, but that, she may have been. She may have been a, a really young, but we were driving home from camp. It was really late. And for some reason, they weren't asleep, but all, yeah, I think she was. She was really little. All three of them are screaming and crying, all three of them. And mom and dad are just a little bit at the brink. Mom and dad, hello. And so we're driving, I think it's like either Lorenzo or Rawls, somewhere along that way, Hatway, Hated to Lubbock. And I, I was speeding through town. I get pulled over by Barney Five. And uh, I, I probably should, I, listen, I respect law enforcement, I do, but you know, sometimes. Anyway, so I get pulled over, and uh, I mean, the kids are screaming. And I, I roll down, you know, I roll down the window. And the officer approaches my car, and, he, and the first question, I mean, he's like, is there an emergency, right? You know, he, he hears, he's like, is there a problem? I just look at him. He's like, you know what, and I guess he read my body language, and he's like, sir, just slow down. <laughs> he went and got in his car and left us alone. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes you're just at your brink, right? But he, he gave me grace that day, and, uh, but you know, the pressure builds. We're on empty. And then some, there's just, somebody just gives us that look. Somebody just, we misunderstand that one statement. 
Maybe that one hurtful comment that normally wouldn't hurt, and then we blow up and lose our cool, right? I, so I, I kind of want to like take an intermission right here. I'm going to tell you some things very quickly. Is that number one is this. We're in a season like we've never been in before. And the pressures are only going to increase. And the people that disagree with our stand on the biblical truth is only going to increase. I'm going to listen to me very carefully, church. Don't miss church. Don't miss assembling with one another. Don't miss church. Engage in worship. When you come into this house, I'm going to tell you, what I loved about this morning and this moment this morning is I have a firm belief that one, that we are Pentecostal, but number two is this, is that we don't force Pentecost, we let Pentecost be Pentecost. And we saw a sovereign work this morning of the Holy Spirit, and more may have happened in that moment than all of our weeks together combined. But listen to me, engage in a worship, soak in God's... If you're at your brink and you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, go to church, engage in worship, soak in His presence, pray, and stand on the promises of God. I'm, I hate to really kind of break down our belief system into five simple things, but if you want to make it today, that's the five things that you have to do. Stand on the promise of God. Two things that cause us to react instead of respond is justification of self. And really what it is is justification of our hurt and really intent on hurting and the manner in which we were hurt. But listen to me, David, man, he's, he's out for a fight, right? They've all strapped on their swords. And then something happens in verse 14. And I want us to read this together. See, I felt it was important for us to actually look at the Scripture and see what it says. Let me just kind of sum up the story. But verse 14, But one of the young men told Abigail, Who's Abigail? Abigail is Nabal's wife. Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And he railed at them. Verse 15, Yet these men were good to us. And we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields. As long, look, look, what, look what he says, as long as we were with them. So what that's implying is, if they had not been here, we'd have had a whole lot of trouble. But David's men protected us. Verse 16. So what I'm trying to say is, is that uh, in their eyes, in David's eyes, he was justified in his response. But verse verse sixteen, they were they were wall they were wall to us both night and day while we were with them keeping sheep. Verse seventeen. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all this house and he is such a this talking about Nabal here he's such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him he's not listening to sense Nabal. Verse eighteen. Then Abigail made haste. That's she was quick in her response. And she took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared. I mean, what, what we're going to read right here is that Abigail uh, puts together picnic baskets enough for all of David's men. 
And what does she do? She, go out, she goes out, verse 20, and she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain. Behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Verse 21, now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed and that belongs to him. And what has been returned to me is evil. David's mad. He's upset. He's fuming. They got their swords strapped on. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried, she got down from the donkey, she fell before David on her face, she bowed to the ground, she fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears. Hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, as for his name is also he, Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man when my Lord, whom you sent. Verse 26, now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Verse 27, and now let this present that your, that your servants has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Verse 20, she's telling David, let, the, man, let, let, your, let your men eat this picnic. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. What is she saying? She's saying, if you go after Nabal, because he acted in a foolish way, you're not representing the God who you say you represent. She's saying is, is that what's going to happen is, is the folly that he deserves and is on the ball is going to be on your head, David. See, what happens is, we have this verse in, uh, in Luke 6.38. And it, t- it tells us this. We use it in offering all the time, right? Give and it shall be given. Press down shaken together, and running over. The measure you use to give is the measure you'll receive. But we often don't quote the verse right before that that goes with that verse. And in essence, what that verse tells us is, is that if you're going to give condemnation or if you're going to give judgment, you're going to get it back, shaken down, pressed together, and running over. Luke 6.38. Or if you give forgiveness, that scripture says. Now, what, which would you rather have pressed down, shaken together, and running over? Would you rather have judgment and condemnation? Or would you rather have forgiveness? Right? So, I mean, think about it a moment. I mean, either, I mean, well, this one looks more fun. Right? I mean, I could, they tie these in us and I can't on time, but I mean, Shaking down, pressing. So what happens is when we give judgment, we can have just keep adding judgment to our laps. The measure we use will be measured back. Are you following me? I mean, I'm, I'm, would you rather have that much forgiveness or this much forgiveness? Would you rather have that much? Um, well, we got to pay attention to how we react and respond because well, what's going to happen is we're going to reap what we sow. 
And David was responding in a way, and what Abigail was saying was, you're responding like a man with blood guilt. You got, I mean, you got rage in your eyes, and this is not the way that you re- should respond. The Holy Spirit wants to intercept your unguarded moments. I am convinced by reading this passage, what would have happened is that, is that possibly David raging about what happened, that possibly he might would have lost his life in that raid. I think it's highly probable. I'm not speaking theology here. I'm not trying to read, that, you know, put in the scripture what's not there. But, I mean, there was definitely something going to happen. Abigail's trying to tell him, listen, if you go after Nabal, something foolish is going to happen to you. And you're ten days away from being king. The Holy Spirit wants to intercept your unguarded moments. Let him do it. I don't know how many times I've been fixing to say something and I feel a pinch. And it's not the Holy Spirit. Or a, gra- or a grab or a tug. I have learned to listen to that because sometimes Angela's being my Abigail. I've done the same thing with her. I'm like, baby, let's slow down there. Sometimes it's in a form of people. Listen to me. Proverbs 15, when a soft answer turns away wrath. You remember that one? But a harsh word stirs up anger. I got to hurry. I'm way over. So, Two things I want you to do, and this is how we're going to close. Number one is zip it. That's real theological, isn't it? Shut it. Zip it. Don't say it. Don't go there. Don't react that way. Zip it. The Bible says, Proverbs ten nineteen: when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips as prudent. Proverbs 18, 2. Fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Oh, snap. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope than a fool than for him. Wow. The second, so first thing is we're going to zip it. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to guard our hearts and to guard our responses the second thing is this, is that we're going to be a peacemaker. The Bible says in uh, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It's not about avoiding conflict. It's not about soothing it over. It's about making people whole. When you find yourself in the middle of a volatile, of, of, of volatile situation, how does your presence change things? And that's what I want you to think about. When you step in on the scene, when there's something going on, what happens to that situation? Does it seem to explode or there seems to be resolution? Are you the person that somebody comes and tells everybody else's business to? Okay, I'll do it this way. Are you the person that somebody comes and tells how wrong that someone has treated them? I'm going to tell you, if your, question, if, if your answer to those questions are yes, then you're probably not the peacemaker. A peacemaker will diffuse the situation. They won't stoke the fire. They're going to speak truth, and they're going to speak it in love. But we also must realize, just because we speak truth doesn't mean that truth will always be responded to or accepted. When that's the case, we let them own it. We've done our job. 
A peacemaker will diffuse situations. If someone misunderstands you, listen, trust God. When, when you feel misunderstood about something you've said, and your first reaction is, ah, you know what I mean? Then maybe this, you've lost too much real estate, and you need to get in the presence of God and get baptized in love again. Someone gossips about you, I'm going to tell you, trust God. Be at peace, not everyone will be at peace with you. But the scripture still tells us in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this message was an encouragement to you. Remember, you can find more about us at odessafirstassembly.com and also across the social media platforms. It is our prayer that God blesses you, keeps you, sustains you. And if you're ever in the area of the Permian Basin, come and join us at Odessa First Assembly. God bless you.